Welcome to the Upgrade Your Education Business podcast. I'm your host, Samantha. Thank you so much for tuning in today, and I hope that you find this episode useful. If you're new to this podcast, each week I share fluff-free, actionable ideas tailored to education businesses that you can mould to suit your needs. And finally, if you enjoy listening to the podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review on iTunes or follow and subscribe on whichever platform you choose. Thank you once again for tuning in. I often meet clients who have worked with other business coaches who perhaps don't come from an educational business background. And often the biggest challenge is to reframe common business advice that they've received or come across when they've carried out their own research. And this isn't a criticism of other coaches, because if you think about it, it makes sense. Why would general advice suit every niche? A hairdressing salon, for instance, would have very different requirements to a tuition business. So although some generic advice can apply, it usually needs to be tailored to whichever niche you work in. One thing that I think is always important to remember is that we're all different. If I just showed you what worked for me and taught you how to do that, it wouldn't necessarily work for you. Because even if we're both, let's say, English tutors, we're still different people the way we teach will be different and what we want out of our business might be different as well. So whenever you're working on any aspect of your business, I think it's really worth remembering that so that you can dig deep and design something that's a good fit for you rather than trying to simulate something that's a good fit for someone else. So with that in mind, I wanted to share some common business advice that you've probably heard or perhaps even followed that I think needs to be thought of differently by education business owners. If you want to see what they are, they're in the show notes. But if you don't want any spoilers, then keep listening. The first one is one I'm sure you've come across many times, and that is the advice to start by defining your target audience. This is usually what people are advised to do when they're at the start of launching their business or if they want better results from, say, their marketing or when they're forming a new product or service. But this, to me, is a prime example of common advice that's incomplete. It's too simplified. I'll explain what I mean. Let's say you're a private tutor and you work with young students. Technically, they are the target audience because your services and products need to be compatible with them and their needs. So yes, you need to decide what kind of students you want to work with and defining that is definitely valuable. But often, they're not the purse string holders and therefore, they're usually not the decision makers. So that means we actually have two target audiences that we need to consider. We need to decide what kind of students we want to work with and what kind of decision makers we want to work with. But it can be even more complex than that, because when we're, say, marketing, our content needs to somehow resonate with both target audience groups at the same time. However, both groups have different pain points, even though there might be overlaps. But to flip it around, let's say you start by deciding who you want to work with, your target audience. It may not be compatible with how you want to work. So, for instance, you might decide that you want to run blended learning courses, ones that combine pre-recorded videos and live lessons. But in your target audience exercise, let's say you decided that you wanted to work with disengaged learners. Well, you can see that immediately there's a mismatch. A disengaged learner is unlikely to commit 
to independent learning. So starting with defining your target audience and letting everything flow from there for education businesses usually cause more problems than they solve. It's hard for me to give you a straightforward solution to this because, as you know, I help people design their businesses. So there isn't one solution that's going to work for everyone. But one thing I will say is to acknowledge the different target audience groups and at the same time, not separately, decide how you want to operate or what you want to offer. This gives you a strong starting point in deciding what needs to be tweaked so that the two areas are compatible. Now, I'm not saying that understanding your target audience, who they are and their pain points isn't valuable. But what I am disagreeing with is the common process of treating this as an exercise that you do in isolation. Because if you do this on its own, without acknowledging how you want to deliver your services and products, then there is likely to be a mismatch. And of course, that leads to issues with actually selling what you're offering. The second piece of advice that I've seen probably more lately is that to build a successful business, you have to build something that's scalable. And there's this huge chase towards passive income streams. Now, when we use the term scalable, it tends to mean something that has the prospect to grow in a sustainable way. So let's say you're an independent tutor or coach who runs one-to-one sessions you do have a limit as to how much time you have and therefore how much work you can take on, which means that you don't have endless options for growth. It's just not scalable. Now, that does sound like an issue, doesn't it? But here's what I've found. I've had a few meetings with business owners who have clearly kept coming across that phrase, stop transacting your time for money, because it's the exact language that they use. And they feel panicked because before they came across that concept, they were happy, but now they feel like they've built something that limits them. Now, the reason I'm not keen on that advice is because although it makes sense, it doesn't make sense for everyone. What if you love the way you work and you don't want to change anything? Perhaps you're happy with how much you earn and actually being in tune with that is really important because regardless of how much you earn, you could always be earning more. And scalability is only one way you can earn more anyway. So yes, building something that's scalable can be great if that's what you want from your business. And that's where I think is important to start. It's important to start with what you want out of your business, not with a problem that others are telling you is a problem. Also, tracking back to the target audience concept, it's all well and good to take a piece of generic advice and run with it. But what if our scalability options aren't compatible with the people we want to work with? The point here is that there isn't one thing that our business success relies on. It's a tapestry of things. And when we blend them all together, it's about finding a fine balance between all the elements. So you could build something that's scalable, but it will only scale if it's compatible with how you want to work and your potential clients' needs. The third one I'm going to tackle is the concept of launching something, even if it isn't ready. I went on a coaching course a while back, and this was something that was encouraged. Even though I didn't feel comfortable, I ran with it. And the experience validated why I think it's a terrible idea. See, I developed this course for students, which was a high ticket offer. It cost a lot of money. And I started onboarding students, but I was building the material as I was going along because that's what the course taught me to do. It was really stressful and more importantly, 
because I was doing it in a rush while juggling all the other things that comes with launching something new, it wasn't to the standard it could have been. In fact, I stopped the course before it even started, both for me and my students, because my reputation means more to me than earning a quick buck. Now, I'm not saying that you should wait until something is perfect before launching it, because sometimes it's ready. And sure, there might be things you can improve, but you can improve them as time goes on. But I certainly wouldn't launch something that isn't ready. There's a difference between it not being ready and it not being perfect. I remember when I formed the idea for the Tutors Mastermind, I started talking about it on social media before it was ready. I didn't give anyone access to it, but I started generating interest. Once I knew exactly what I wanted it to look like, with room for improvements and minor changes, I launched it in phases. I didn't wait until everything was set up and perfect, but I did wait until it was ready. I started with just the Hive Mind meetings and invited a small group of clients to be founding members. Once that aspect was strong, I moved on to the next phase with workshops that non-members are invited to. So again, I didn't wait until it was perfect, but I waited for it to be ready. And it meant that I was able to move from one phase to another without compromising the quality of what I was offering because I wasn't rushing. The next phase is the resource and video library. Although I know how it fits into the mastermind, I haven't launched it because it's not ready. Number four on my list is the top thing I see with new businesses, and that is the concept of needing a logo and a website in order to launch a business. Now, of course, if your business is based on a website, for instance, if you sell resources, then that's different. But if it isn't, if you're a service-based business, while a website can definitely be powerful, it doesn't have to be the first thing you do. I want to tell you about one of my clients, Dwight. He left a corporate career to revisit his previous teaching career, and he wanted to set up a maths tutoring business from scratch. Like many people, he was doing this during the pandemic when schools were shut. So it was a challenging time to be setting up a tuition business in a market that was flooding. But he became fully booked within six months. He was working five days a week, all without a website. He did create a logo in Canva, but to this day, he still doesn't have a website. He got all his clients through his Facebook group that we set up and through word of mouth. Now he rarely needs to market himself even in his Facebook group. And the reason I'm telling you this is because creating a website is time consuming. I'm not saying it's not worth doing because it can be really powerful, but we need to prioritize the activities that get us clients with the least amount of work. When I started, most of my clients came through my Facebook page. For Dwight, it was his group. And for other people, it might be other things. And that's the thing. When we're trying to work out what the best method of attracting clients is for us, we have to take our preferences into consideration as well as market conditions. And we have to look at what's happening with latest social media platform updates and so on. If you listened to episode 23, which was all about using Facebook groups for your education business, then it'll make sense to you why a Facebook page worked for me at the start, but why Dwight needed to take a different approach. So once you discover that one key method that works for your business, then over time, you can reinforce that method with things like websites. You can focus on SEO so that people start finding you directly through your website. 
But as I mentioned earlier, if you want to launch fast, then a website isn't the first thing I would prioritize because it takes a while to get right. As mentioned earlier, I'm not diminishing the importance of having a website because when done correctly, it can be amazing for your business. And if you want your website to work hard for your business, I'm dedicating some future episodes to converting browsers to buyers through your website. And my next workshop is likely to be on websites as well. I'm going to take a vote in the Tutors Mastermind, but either this month or the following month, it will be on websites and converting browsers to buyers. So focus on the thing that connects you with your potential clients first and work on the other activities like developing a website that boost results later. Now, you might be surprised at the fifth thing on my list of advice that I don't think paints the full picture. And that is the concept that success is reliant on having a great service or product. Let me be clear. Having a great service or product is extremely important. It's what creates customers who create more customers because they have such a great experience that they keep buying from you and they recommend you to other people. But this advice paints an incomplete picture because if you're sitting on a great service or product, but no one knows about it, then you're not going to get sales. It sounds really obvious, but you'll be surprised at how easy it is to focus your energy on creating that amazing course or writing that brilliant book and neglecting creating a launch plan, a marketing plan, a sales plan. And usually it's because those are the areas we don't enjoy or we don't feel so confident in. But how will people know about what we offer if we don't tell them about it? Why would they invest in our offer if we don't get them excited about it? And how will people know how to buy our offer if we don't sell it? So when you're creating something new, it's really important to map a customer journey. Now, if you've listened to past episodes or you've had some training with me, you'll know this is something that I talk about quite a lot. And if you're not sure what this is, just look up sales or marketing funnels so you can understand the concept. But here's an example walkthrough. Let's say you've created a course that lasts for six weeks and people pay a one-time fee to access it. That means that you need a pretty sturdy launch plan because you're going to periodically need to enroll a new cohort of students into your course. And in that kind of situation, relying on word of mouth might not bring you the number of ongoing potential clients that you need to have lined up. So the first thing we need to consider is how we can help new people discover us and our course. There are many ways to do this and how you choose to do it will depend on what you're offering. So let's say it's a face-to-face course. Your methods might be different to an online one. Then we need to think about how to get people interested and excited. So at this stage, you might want to design some kind of lead magnet. And this is where you're forming a marketing plan because that lead magnet can be something that you reuse or something that transitions people into having conversations with you via email. But this can also be part of your launch plan because freebies and talking about what we have coming soon is a great way of creating a buzz around what you offer. Then, of course, we need to start forming that sales strategy. Otherwise, people will get stuck at that freebie stage. So we need to plan how we're going to move them along into considering working with us. That could be in the form of offering a call with you or moving them to your website or a video of you talking about the course in more depth. And of course, from there, 
We want people to feel compelled to buy our course. So that entire journey from someone discovering the course to buying has nothing to do with the quality of your course. That part comes next. The course has to deliver the transformation it promises to gain credibility and to create recommendations and generate even more interest as you get ready to welcome new students. But to get to that stage, you need to be intentional about how you move people through the journey so that you're not essentially relying on luck. I would really recommend placing as much importance on how you'll market and sell your course as you do on the course itself. So if you're in a position where you're not attracting as many clients as you'd like, or if you're at the beginning stages of setting up your business, have another listen to this episode, but this time pause after each of the five sections and analyze what you're doing or not doing, or make some notes on what you'll do now and what you'll do later. For instance, you might focus on your website once you've gained some momentum. Now, I know I've said this in past episodes. The most important thing when you're changing things up is to change one thing at a time. That way, you're more likely to see results because monitoring the difference when you just make one change gives you a clear idea of whether it has worked or not. So you can make really informed decisions rather than trying loads of things in a panic. So thank you for giving me your time today. I hope you found this useful and you'll hear from me next week. Would you like to take this discussion further? Perhaps you have some questions or you'd like more ideas you can tailor to your education business. If so, book a free discovery call through the link in the show notes or visit www.upgradeyoureducationbusiness.com.